Today in the Dan Cave, Russell Wilson once again looks like an MVP. The Seahawks move to 2-0 with a thrilling win over the Patriots, but with the win come big losses. Injuries ravage the defense. What now? Who will step up? I'll dig in. Pac-12 football is back on. Later than normal, shorter than normal. When will the Apple Cup be played? All that. And say it isn't so. It's the final weekend of the season, and the Mariners are still in the playoff race. Let's get into the Dan Cave next. Welcome to the Dan Cave. Here's your host, Dan Fiennes. Welcome back, everybody, into the Dan Cave studios here in lovely Renton, Washington. Episode 97, we are closing in on the 100th episode of this podcast. Got a couple of cool things in store for you for that coming up in a couple of weeks, including a uh, pretty big announcement. Uh, Some really big, cool, fun things are on the horizon. Stay tuned for that. So the Seahawks moved to 2-0. Suppose we should start there, right? And uh, once again, with the Patriots, I don't know what this is, but I feel like the NFL should just make sure that they play every year for the third straight time, dating a course back to Super Bowl 49. The game comes down to the final play of the game from the one-yard line. You had to figure this was going to happen, right? Find me another series in NFL history where that's happened and where the team that ultimately wins is the team that gets the stop on the one-yard line. How crazy is that? Three straight games, Super Bowl 49, the uh, was it a Sunday night or a Thursday night game? Um, Seahawks at New England a couple of years ago. Cam Chancellor comes up with the stop against Gronk in the end zone on the final play of the game from the one. And then once again on Sunday, Cam Newton in the shotgun, empty backfield. He had scored two touchdowns already. Seahawks hadn't been able to stop this this play. All game, and L.J. Collier, Lano Hill combined to get the stop to preserve the win. They win by five over the Patriots. Um, uh, what a great game. It was uh, someone referred to it as an instant classic. Uh, really incredible. And, and I'll tell you, during the week, um, I, I get asked a lot at work, what do you think of the game this weekend? What do you think of the game? We have a lot of sports fans at work and they all know kind of what I do when I'm not working and, and how into this stuff I am. So they're always asking my opinion. And I thought the Seahawks were going to win going away. And here's why. I've never really been a big Cam Newton fan. But then on top of that, I kind of thought the guy was broken down and done. I thought going to a new system coming off a significant injury, not playing in in so long. I knew that Josh McDaniel would find a way to adjust their defense and adapt to what Newton does best. But I'll tell you something. That's the best I've ever seen Cam Newton play. Ever. And the Seahawks have had success against Cam uh, while he was in Carolina. It First of all, he looks as healthy as ever. That's, that's the best I've seen him throw the football. I mean, he he had a cannon 
of an arm. 30 out of 44, 397 yards through the air with a touchdown pass, two more on the ground. He looked in command. He looked like he'd, he'd been in that offense forever. And tip of the cap to Josh McDaniel, who I've always had a lot of respect for. Um, the Patriots could be legit now in the AFC East with Newton playing like that. For the Seahawks, obviously a big win because they moved to 2-0 and and they keep pace with the with the Rams and the Cardinals were 2-0. and um, It's going to be like that all year, all these games. It doesn't matter that it was an AFC West game. Every game matters this year because this division is looking like they're as good as everyone expected them to be. Uh, but some big losses also uh, as part of this one. For the Seahawks, um, it was kind of the theme around the NFL this weekend. Major injuries, and in particular ACLs, I thought I heard on ESPN, something like 17 ACL tears this weekend. Some big names, Saquon Barkley going down. Uh, the the 49ers got hit just as hard. Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas, both going down with season-ending ACL injuries. Um, Christian McCaffrey, not an ACL, but out for an extended period. Some big stars around the league got hurt this week. Um and it hit the Seahawks. Marquise Blair and Bruce Irvin, both getting hurt within minutes of each other. It didn't look so bad for Irvin at the time because he was able to walk it off, but that's you can't judge ACLs by that measure anymore. We see that all the time. Um, real tough for Bruce, Bruce Irvin, who was so happy to be back, and the Seahawks were so happy to have him back, the former first-round pick, coming full circle. Um, he they, they weren't really getting much out of him on the field. He hadn't registered a sack yet, but you knew that was coming. And and just a real good veteran presence and and his enthusiasm for being back. Um, that's a big loss. And Marque, Marquise Blair looked extremely comfortable playing that slot. Seahawks going with three safeties. Um, he was making plays and and not out of position like he was as a rookie a year ago. And um. Real tough loss for that for that kid as well, and for the Seahawks. Um, and that defense needs needs help. They don't need to be losing guys. They need to be adding guys. That was a lot of the conversation on Twitter during the game. Um, they're allowing 485 yards a game. It's worst in the league. Just 27.5 points a game, which is better. Uh, bend but don't break is the term that, that we're hearing already. Um, there's a lot of talk during the game on Sunday and and between then and now on where the hell's the pass rush, including me. And and you, you've you heard me on this show saying, be patient. I think the Seahawks feel better about what they have and their plan than the rest of us do. Um, but not a lot of production so far. Now, Carroll went on his, his his weekly radio show rounds and and Monday interviews and press conferences saying that, you know, if they'd if they'd had taken down Cam the times that they had him, they would have had five sacks. Wouldn't we all be feeling pretty good today about the fact that they had five sacks? And that's that's true. I get that. There was one play in particular that's sticking in my head where Benson Mayoa had Cam Newton dead to rights, but the dude is 6'6", 275, and you got to tackle him in a different way. 
Well, they finally did on the goal line, but but they missed out on some of those sacks. The problem is between those opportunities. And and I don't think I'm alone in saying that when I'm watching a game, and I'm trying to pay attention to a lot of things, not just the pass rush, but when I feel like the pass rush is ineffective, it's not because they're not getting sacks. It's because they're not getting consistent pressure, consistent penetration and push up front. It's not getting sacks. It's affecting the passer and affecting their game plan and their their ability to execute. So between those opportunities to get five sacks, there wasn't a heck of a lot else going on. They're not getting anything from Jaron Reed, although there was one play he was clearly held when he was about to get penetration. It wasn't called. They paid him good money on the two-year deal to come back this year, hoping that he'd return to the 2018 form when he had 10 and a half sacks. We're not seeing that. Uh, Puna Ford's not a penetrator, a pass rusher. That's not his game. Irvin wasn't making much of an impact. Mayoa would flash from time to time. Best pass rusher on the team is Jamal Adams. He's got two. One in each game. And he was awesome. Again, 14 tackles and two sacks so far for the safety acquired from the Jets for two first-round draft picks and then some. Um, Elsewhere on the defense, secondary was making plays. Quentin Dunbar looking a lot more comfortable in his second game. Um, In the first quarter, it looked like he was playing off and and gave up a couple of of completions, a couple of sideline plays where it looked like he was just giving up too much cushion. But the rest of the game, he was... He was outstanding. Uh, really good things we saw from Quentin Dunbar. Didn't get to see Quandre Diggs making any play, plays because he was ejected in the first quarter for a helmet-to-helmet hit. So that stressed the defense even before Marquise Blair's injury. Leno Hill had to play full-time. And then once Blair went out, Ugo Amadi got the call after that. Question. Did they blow it this offseason? Did John Schneider and his staff, the Seahawks, by failing to add a marquee pass rusher, by not bringing back Jadevian and Clowney, by not getting Everson Griffin, did they blow it? It's maybe a cop-out answer, but too early to tell. As frustrated as I've been, as frustrated as we all are these first two games, way too early to tell. And this could be one of those situations where we look back and say, okay, those injuries, the injury to Irvin is really unfortunate, but gave some other guys opportunities. And I'm excited to see the guys that are going to get opportunities now because of this. Two in particular. The first one, Carol mentioned right away on Monday morning. Alton Robinson, the fifth-round draft pick out of Syracuse. We heard about how great he looked in training camp. He was a Inactive for the first two games, but Carroll kept saying he was right there. He's right there battling, always battling. Carroll loves that word, right? Uh, he specifically said on Monday he's one of the guys we're going to be counting on now. Really excited to see what Alton Robinson can do as a as a guy who can who can really bend the edge and uh, be explosive and and get to the quarterback. 
Um, his junior year in particular, he was absolutely disruptive and unblockable. And then Jordan Brooks. And it was yesterday when Carroll finally came out. And he, he had hinted during the week that Brooks was going to get a bigger role now. And it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, here we go, going back to base defense. They're going to get Brooks on the field. We're going to play three linebackers now. But Carroll specifically mentioned Brooks as a guy who can play off the edge and get after the quarterback. His first three years at Texas Tech, he did more of that, and then they moved him his senior year. So he's a guy that's done that. He's that experience doing that, playing close to the line of scrimmage, sniffing out run plays, going after the quarterback. Really excited to see what those two rookies can do to help out. The good news, rushing defense has been solid. Second in the league so far, 69.5 yards rushing per game allowed. Second only behind the Steelers, who have been outstanding across the board. Now, some might say, well, that's because they've been so easy to throw the ball against. And and there could be something to that. Also, the fact that the Seahawks have been playing ahead in the first two games this year. And that's one of those context things that, that sometimes get lost in the argument. Teams haven't had the chance to run the football against them. They've had to throw the football. And they've played two very good quarterbacks. And the run defense could be getting some help. Damon Snacks Harrison visiting next week. And what this sounds like to me, because he's 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 talked to some other teams. First of all, there was a question whether he was going to play this year. Turns 32 during the season, just had a baby recently. He's a big dude. A lot of the linemen have been concerned about the COVID situation. A lot of the defensive linemen as a position group opted out of the season. Uh, Harrison never officially opted out, so he kept his options open. Um, this sounds like a situation to me where he's he's going to come in, and if he passes a physical, he's going to sign next week. They know everything they need to know about Damon Harrison and vice versa. So they're going to have him in, look in his eye, get a feel for whether he really wants to play or not, give him a physical, and then I think he's going to sign. This one's a really a no-brainer. Um, they've been having to rely on a couple of young guys, Brian Monet and, and Rush. I uh, was called up from the practice squad last week and was added to the active roster this week. That's probably the position, uh, the roster spot that Harrison would take. Uh, if he's got something left in the tank, he can really, really help. And he says 2019 was a lost season. The reason he didn't play well once he got on the field is, is he wanted out. He was not happy in Detroit, not happy playing for Matt Patricia. He wanted out. He didn't get into the kind of shape that he usually does. It's a little harder for a guy his size. But if he's in shape, ready to go, and motivated, he can be an absolute force in the middle of that line, eat up some blockers, and really help some of those edge guys as well. Um Jets, Giants, Lions, 111 starts over eight seasons, 485 tackles, 11 sacks, 37 tackles for loss. He's a run stopper. He's a first and second down type guy. Uh, But he'd be a nice addition to the roster for sure. And I think the secondary, you see those passing yard stats. And again, I think some of that's contextual. I really do. 
because I think the secondary, I really like what I see out of Lano Hill. He's a guy that kind of got caught up and, you know, he's banged up a lot, had a hard time staying healthy and staying on the field his first couple of years. And then I think people lumped him together with Tedrick Thompson. They were drafted that same year. And did we, did we make a mistake on two safeties? And he's really become a solid player. We first saw him step up a couple of years ago in that Kansas City game and help out in that big nickel situation. The way he played that final play, he, he's just become a reliable, steady guy. I like seeing that. And I also thought that last play of the game was a little bit of redemption for LJ Collier and a little taste of what we could see. He flashed a couple times in that game, but that one in particular, how strong he was at, at the point of line of scrimmage, how he came in low, and and when he hit Cam, there was absolutely no question that Cam was stopped dead in his tracks, and you don't see that very often. So hopefully um, a sign of things to come for LJ Collier, the first-round pick from last year. But as I said, I thought Dunbar looked great. I uh, feel like that that secondary just needs to click. And then another guy that I'm really excited to see get more of an opportunity, and he's going to get the shot to be the slot guy full-time, is Ugo Amadi. You know, coming out of Oregon, he was a playmaker. He was an award winner. We saw flashes in his first preseason where he was all over the place making plays. And then he just, he, he just never really grasped and, and grabbed onto that slot role last year and held onto it and ran with it. But he was all over the field on Sunday. Making plays in the backfield, playing the run, coming up, hitting guys. Really deceiving for his size. I've always thought he reminded me a little bit of Honey Badger, Teron Matthew. He gets his shot now. We'll see what he can do with it. Uh, the Seahawks also called up Lyndon Stevens, who they liked as a guy that can play inside and outside from the practice squad, so a little more depth there at corner. But look, here's one of my takeaways from Sunday. I think, first of all, the whole let Russ cook thing, I think that question's been answered, right? This offense has evolved and changed. It's diverse now. You don't know what's coming, when it's coming. And even with the lead, they're not going to get conservative and pound the football. And I'll tell you this, there's going to be a game this year. And we might have heard some of it Sunday if they hadn't pulled that off at the end. Because on the third and one on the drive before that, Russell went tried to go deep to lock it. You might have heard some, well, they should have run the ball there. <laughs> You're never going to make everybody happy, right? But at some point this year, there's going to be that game. Ah, oh, they should have run it more. <laughs> it's going to happen, man. I'm telling you. Mark this down, episode 97. I'm predicting the future. It's going to happen. People will complain that we're throwing it too much at some point. But this is this is the offense now, and I love it. I, I think they're using – he's spreading the ball around. He's getting other guys involved. And when I say he, I don't just mean Russell Wilson. I mean Brian Schottenheimer too. We'll dive a little deeper into this uh, later into the season about Schottenheimer's evolution as a play caller since two years ago and – public perception of him. But Russ is getting everybody involved, even Freddie Swain. And one of my early takeaways from the season is we always hear Carroll heap praise on the young guys and the rookies. Heard it last year. Oh, BBK looks great. Cody Barton looks great. And, you know, 
unless someone got hurt, they they never got on the field. He's he's playing these guys this year. They drafted Damian Lewis in the third round. They stuck him in there. He's starting, playing every game or every snap and looking like a potential future Pro Bowl guard. Freddie Swain, six-round draft pick, receiver. Got a lot of snaps, got a lot of run on Sunday, scored a touchdown. Now Jordan Brooks, Alton Robinson are going to get their shot. You know Daryl Taylor is going to get his shot, and Carroll did admit this week that he had a little bit of a setback in his offseason training, that when they drafted him, they thought he was going to be fully recovered from the broken leg by the time the season started, but he had a setback. So he's a guy that's going to get his shot later in the season after he's finished on the pup list and 100% healthy. But this offense is what we're going to see, and I think this is what the Seahawks are because they don't have that dominant, consistent, penetrating pressure player or two up front. There are going to be matchups that are going to be tough for them. There are going to be shootouts. There will be some games when that offense doesn't click where Russ has a bad day. So expect, even with the wide open offense, and I do think there will be some some blowouts along the way, like Atlanta could have been, where they, they get ahead and they keep their foot on the gas and the defense make makes plays. The other team has to throw, and they can pin their ears back. There will be some blowouts, but there are going to be some insane, crazy games like Sunday. But as long as they keep letting Russ do what he's doing, I think even with some of the questions on defense, this team has a chance at a special season because they're letting their best player do what he does best. And how good has he been? 21 out of 28 for 288, five touchdowns on Sunday. Uh, The one interception was just a brutal drop by Greg Olson on the first drive of the game. For the season, 83% completions, 610 yards, 9.7 yards per attempt, second only in the league to Lamar Jackson's 9.8. Nine touchdown passes, the one pick, which wasn't his fault. 140 passer rating, that leads the league after two games. He's also chipped in eight rushes for 68 yards. Here's what I'll say about Russell. It's rare when you see a guy at his level get better every year. And it's because of the work he puts into it. It's Tom Brady-like. Where Tom Brady, even in, in his mid to upper 30s and early 40s, every offseason would work harder than the offseason before on his body, on his mental, his, his mental, I think I just made up a word, mental and physical preparation, but I like mental. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can get some traction on that. But it's in that stratosphere. He's at that level. And I had some questions two off-seasons ago. He got paid. He looked a little puffy. He took a little too much time, it, it appeared, 
to vacation and enjoy the fruits of his labor. He looks slower on the field, clearly a step slower, bigger. I, I talked on the show about how I didn't think he was going to age well, and that was why the team had to make sure that they built an offensive line in front of him that was more capable of pass protection, which they did go out and attempt to do. But this year, it looked like he had really finally arrived in the ultimate personal comfort zone. And and throughout the lockdown and all of that, he just he just took it upon himself to work harder. From the very beginning, looked like he didn't even take a vacation, no days off, no time to sleep, he says. New baby, all that, didn't matter, worked harder than ever. And he started to see some of the workout videos and pictures throughout the offseason. Oh, he's looking good. And he does. He looks better in his uniform. He looks leaner. He looks quick again. Trimmer, fitter. And his improvement in his footwork in the pocket and his pocket awareness, it's incredible. It allows him to see the the whole field. It allows him to use all the weapons he's had. David Moore who I was down on, you know me, I didn't want him making this roster, made an unbelievable play on Sunday to score the touchdown. Using Freddie Swain, getting his backs involved. I really like how they're using Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson. Should bode well for as the season goes along, not overusing Carson early in the year. Um, now on Sunday... As they attempt to move to 3-0, they're going to play the Cowboys, who in some ways are kind of their mirror image, right? Dak's always reminded us a little bit of Russ. They got tons of weapons. They have an elite back. Offensive line isn't quite what it used to be. Defense giving up a lot of points. Here are the parallels. On offense, Seahawks scoring 36.5 points per game. That's second in the league. Cowboys are eighth in the league, 28.5. Seems like they haven't really clicked yet. Some of it could be that offensive line struggling. Cowboys are third in the league in passing yards, though. Seahawks fifth. Cowboys second in total offense behind the Packers. So the yards are there. The production is there. They haven't been getting it in the end zone as efficiently as the Seahawks. And then defensively, Seahawks allowing 485 yards a game, as I said, 27.5 points a game. Cowboys are at 401 yards a game, and they're actually allowing teams to score more at 29.5 points per game. So we could see an epic shootout on Sunday, which usually means it's a ugly, slow, grinded-out game, right? Uh, should be a good one, though, at CenturyLink Field once again in front of an empty stadium. Speaking of empty stadiums, the Pac-12, through all of their stumbles, pratfalls, poor leadership, uh, there are reports now that Larry Scott himself 
actually believes he's not going to return next year as Pac-12 commissioner. Let's all hope that that is true. They announced yesterday they are going to play a football season in the fall. And this is all due to uh, the new COVID test, the new quick turnaround, fast, readily available, inexpensive, saliva-based daily tests that, that they can administer to players and staff. Um, the Pac-12 was kind of the last team to get their, their stuff together, or the last conference, to get this going. But this is how it's going to look. The season will start on Friday, November 6th. Each team will play a seven-game conference schedule, and it's interesting how they arrive at the seven games. Five will be your division. So the Cougs, as always, will play their five divisional foes. Then they'll each play one team from the other division. And then what will happen, because I had to figure this out. I looked at the calendar because it said the championship game was December 18th. Pac-12 championship game will be decided on December 18th. Well, that only allows, it's only, there's only six weeks between the 6th and the 18th. Well, for the, for the 10 teams that do not qualify for the championship game, they will all get one more game that same weekend. Interesting. So we're going to get seven weeks of Pac-12 football. They're going to get a good amount of time um, to get the kids ready, about six weeks. There will be no fans in the stands all season long. So there will be no advantage from one state to the next. Uh, the schedule hasn't been released yet. Hopefully we'll see that next week. So we don't know when the Apple Cup is going to be uh, in particular. Uh, but it will be the weekend of the 11th and 12th. It's been played on Fridays for the last few years. But that's the Friday after Thanksgiving. So that's a, that's a great that's a really appealing TV time slot. I don't know. I would expect the game will be played on the 12th. Uh, but we'll, we shall see. We'll we'll learn a lot more once the schedule comes out next week. We'll start talking more specifically about the Huskies and Cougars and, and kind of their prospects this year and what how their schedule seems to fall. Um, it, it's unfortunate. Just one note about the Cougs. It's, and, and you can say this about the Huskies too with the new coach, although it's a much easier transition to go from Chris Peterson to Jimmy Lake than it was to go from Mike Leach to Nick Rolovich and an entire new staff. The fact they're not going to get any easy landing or soft landing and, and be able to play their non-conference games, be able to play Idaho and uh, to kind of get that new system and, and, and everything else going. Um, a little bit of a disadvantage for the Cougs, but I have some thoughts on that and uh, I will share those. Um, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, basketball also cleared to return, as were other fall sports. Basketball will get started uh, the weekend of Thanksgiving. Um, so Kyle Smith, and a lot of excitement there too. We're going to talk Cougar basketball and, and Husky basketball on the show a little bit this year. Um, really exciting things in store for the first time in a long time over in Pullman on the hardwood. Let's finish up with some baseball. Uh, this is crazy, but believe it or not, in case you haven't noticed, the Mariners are still in the playoff race. After taking two out of three 
from the Houston Astros this week. The Mariners have not been eliminated from playoff contention yet with four games to play. They have a doubleheader today, I believe, Friday as I record this, and then two more over the weekend. They have four games left. They are three and a half games behind the Astros for the eighth and final playoff spot. Obviously, if you can do the math, the Astros would have to lose out. The Mariners would have to win out. But there is a chance, as Lloyd Christmas said, so you're saying there's a chance. And we're going to talk over the next couple of weeks about the Houston Astros and how some recent events with them are going to affect the Mariners' timeline and ability to contend over the next year or two. Specifically, I'm speaking of the news that Justin Verlander will have Tommy John surgery and will not pitch again until 2022 um, and how that affects the Mariners, because it does. But tune in today. The Mariners' magic number then, I believe, would be one. They have to they have to win out. Uh, but it's, it's, it's kind of fun. Look. It doesn't matter if they make the playoffs or not. It, it, even if they do, I'm going to be into it. It's exciting. It'll be fun to watch. I won't be celebrating the way I would have had this been a normal season and they had broken their 20-year playoff drought. Um, but it's fun. There's some consistent storylines that are developing. I love the fight in this team, first of all, how excited they are to be in this thing and 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 treat it like a playoff race, and I think that's only going to, to pay dividends down the road. But there are some consistent storylines. Evan White is good. Evan White's going to be a really good player for a long time. Kyle Lewis, too. He struggled down the stretch. I still think he's going to win Rookie of the Year. But to me, the biggest takeaway of the season now has shifted. It's not so much about the development of the starting pitching and Evan White and Kyle Lewis. But how good is that Padres trade looking? We haven't even seen Taylor Tremell yet. He's the prize of the deal. But what we have seen is Luis Torrens looks like an everyday catcher and a guy that can hit too. And Ty France is a legitimate big league hitter who's capable at a couple of different spots defensively. He's a Mariners cleanup hitter right now. Absolutely love that trade and the fact that we also may have gotten our future closer in the deal once he gets healthy. Um, Really, really crazy that Austin Nola allowed that to happen. Um, So by the time we talk again, look, if, if crazy things happen this weekend and the Mariners make the playoffs, I will make time on Monday to do our next episode so that we can talk about that. If not, we'll talk Mariners next week and we'll start looking ahead. We'll wrap up the season, look ahead to 2021, which proves to be one of the most interesting and intriguing and exciting and fun seasons the Mariners have had in a very long time. And be it uh, whether it's next week or the week after, I've got a very special guest lined up to talk Mariners with me. Stay tuned for that. Um, before I go, the Dan Cave podcast fantasy team we lost this week, guys. Dropped to one and one. Uh, injuries have ravaged our wide receiver core. 
Devontae Adams and A.J. Brown both. Well, Brown was out, so was D.J. Chark. Uh, was out this week, but Devontae Adams also got hurt early in that game with the Packers and didn't provide much. Um, some late waiver pickups. Scotty Miller didn't get much out of him. Our running backs were solid, but unspectacular. And now Josh Jacobs is banged up. We might be without him for a week or two. Um, and our opponent had some big days. Um, big days out of Calvin Ridley and Stephon Diggs. So basically the, the game was decided with our wide receiver core. Um even though he was without George Kittle and lost Saquon Barkley to the ACL early in that game, and we still lost by 40 points. Ouch. So we're going to have to rely on Ronald Jones in the backfield and look for some waiver wire pickups. Um, hope that Chark, Brown, and Adams get healthy soon. Um, I am probably going to bench Carson Wentz for us in favor of Jared Goff, but not this week. Not with Goff on the road facing that Buffalo defense. The matchup looks like it's really close um, in part because our opponent this week had Minshew as his starting quarterback and he only registered 9.2 points uh, last night. Um, My football picks in my weekly pool, I got 15 out of 16 right, missing only the Thursday game. I did not get credit for that, unfortunately. That's one of the best weeks I've ever had picking games. And uh, I got credit in the sense that, that I won some money. But I won't get credit for it on tallysite.com because I didn't submit my picks properly. Made all my picks. Didn't click the submit button. Still getting to know that website. But uh, I'll try to have a stronger showing there this weekend. Uh, but speaking of tallysite.com, check them out. Tallysite, T-A-L-L-Y-S-I-G-H-T.com. They poll over 300 experts. The guys from ESPN, NFL Network, all the big names. And uh, over the course of the season, you get to see... How they rack up their win percentage? Their uh, they calculate a they have a logarithm called Sports IQ that that takes into account all their different predictions and and uh, and you get to see how I stack up against them over time. It's uh, really cool. It's free to register. Only takes a couple of seconds. Um, and then if you're uh, one of those guys that that listens to the show that has your own show has a podcast, and I know there's many of you out there. You um, you can register as an expert yourself and get on that site. So. Check it out. Uh, It's a lot of fun. Next week, we will recap what proves to be a wild matchup Sunday with the Cowboys and the Seahawks as the Seahawks try to move to 3-0. We'll take a closer look, as I said, at the Huskies and Cougars as they now prepare for a football season. We'll look back at the Mariners' final weekend, recap the season, or preview the playoffs. Huh. We'll see how that works out. Follow me on Twitter at SeahawksForever.com. Email thedancaveshow at gmail.com. Click on uh, the link in my Twitter bio. You can leave me a voice message on Anchor. I can play on the show, answer your questions. Um, And what I'd like to do, and I'll get more, um, I'll blast it on Twitter this week as soon as the game's done and it's fresh and everyone's fired up or pissed off one or the other. And I would love to get a segment going where you guys, right after the game, Click that link, uh, record a quick voice message with your thoughts on the game, and we play those all on the show the next week. That would be awesome. Subscribe to the show for notifications of new episodes. And if you like what I do, give the show a rating. That would be really, really great. Stay safe. Stay sane. Go Seahawks. Go Mariners. Go Cougs. I'm Dan Viennes. Thanks for listening to the Dan Cave Podcast.